This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. Crazy week this week, huh? Yeah, man, we were busy, and uh, DC's extended their lockdown till June 8th, so like longest in the world, uh, but but yeah, a lot going on. Till when? Ju- wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. till when? 8th. June 8th. June 8th, oh my gosh. Yeah, we're we're gonna be out of lockdown next week. Yeah, uh, it, it and I, it's sort of county by county a little bit. Yeah, but I, I doubt that we're gonna. Washington D.C. is unique because it's its own entity, right? I guess so. And someone was asking me, they're like, "Well, D.C. doesn't have a governor. Is it like does the mayor have the right. power to do that?" And I I assume so. I don't really know. Of course, it seems like all the governors are getting sued and losing anyway. So it's like, I don't even know what's happening in, in, our, in our country. It's like, okay, no one has the power to do anything. Yeah. So here we go. I don't know. Let's let's go, right? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I was telling you earlier, listening to CNN is making me nuts. Uh, it's just constant, new normal, new normal. Well, when has society been in normal? I don't know when that is. And reporters talking about new normal, it seems to me, is just abs- from an engineer's and this is an engineering perspective on all mm-hmm. this there is no normal because every day we're trying to make the world a little bit better or it's changing in some way or another and there is no normal so tomorrow is different than today as it was different than 10 years ago so what right yeah i mean i get that but there's this is definitely some sort of new normal like i have to wear a mask to go in an elevator like that's not that's not normal <laughs> to, to use that term and I get that. Well, uh, uh, yeah, okay. So, have you ever been on an airplane where people smoked? No, that's true. Yeah. Or, all right. Right. You ever been in an office where people smoked? No. I was. Right. You ever use a rotary telephone like with the actual dial? You had to spin the damn thing. <laughs> I'm a millennial. You know that I haven't. I'm. I grew up on Instagram. No. Actually, I didn't grow up on Instagram. <laughs> I'm much, much. I'm TikTok. much past all that. Yeah. No, I didn't have an. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair, fair yeah, point. So, fair uh, point. Right. Right. I mean, I was in Seattle on September 11th. Things changed that day. Yeah. We had a new normal that day. I had plastic silverware on my flight back, which I never had before. Hmm. That was a new normal. Yeah, every day every day is a new day, and humans adapt. If we haven't adapted to the changing environment, then we have been gone a long time ago. We're not dodo birds. We're able to think through some things and, and, and you know work through the situation we're in right now, and we will work through it, and we'll get back to some sort of uh, quote-unquote normalcy, whatever that was. Yeah. Great. And, right? I think we're okay. Yeah. I'm just suffering from, from coronavirus talking about it fatigue. Like, yep. It's like literally the only thing anyone can talk about it's it's like becoming very obvious that we just it's so front of mind for everybody like very very front yep. of mind it's it's crazy yep. but so yep. on, speaking of which as i transition us out of coronavirus forever um 
<laughs> on the docket today, we're going to talk about uh, wood wind turbines, which is a, a pretty interesting thing. Obviously, not all the circuitry, but you know the towers um, and potentially right. blades. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, leading edge erosion and uh, some of these newer wind turbines uh, on Flatland have a direct drive um, mechanism, which is interesting. So right. we're going to talk about a little bit about a TED Talk. Let's start with this TED Talk. So I was watching this TED Talk. Uh, I should know the guy's name, but I forgot it just now. But he talked about uh, renewable energy for the future and what this looks like. Is it realistic that we can have so much of our energy, like essentially save our planet? And his, I think, main, main premise is that, A, we're killing birds and bats. Solar needs so much land to be sustainable because the electricity you know, the conversion rate of solar into actual usable electricity is still very low that we have to basically just decimate tons and tons of land to do this, which is obviously bad for the environment. Um, and then like natural features, like using a, a hydraulic, um, well, using a dam as like a, a hydraulic, um, is it a pump? Is it, am yeah. I describing that right? Like you need certain features for that yeah. even to work. So even some of these good ideas like right. that aren't feasible depending on where you know, the, the natural land feature. So where do you fall on this right. whole thing? Do you feel like that's a, that's valid that we don't have a chance in this or, or what? Well, we've been using hydropower since the 1920s. Uh, Niagara Falls was one of those first hydro dam situations. And I think there was a competition there between Edison and Westinghouse and Westinghouse and Tesla won. And they've been creating power from that ever since. So we've been in some sort of renewal, renewable energy uh, systems since the really the dawn of electricity. The question is demand and be able to satisfy demand and to satisfy demand in a clean fashion. Solar, obviously, we can't have all solar. We're never going to be 100% solar. We're never going to be 100% wind. We're never going to be 100% oil or gas or hydro or even nuclear. That won't happen because every and and, and and in the United States we tend to think of everything like the United States, like every country is, is exactly like us. That's not the case. Yeah. We don't have a lot of earthquakes. We don't have a lot of typhoons. Obviously, you don't have typhoons. Um, and in certain parts of the country are, are pretty stable in the United States. But there are applications where solar makes complete sense. There are applications where wind makes a lot of sense. And with the uh, new advancements that Elon Musk is talking about on the, te- on the Tesla battery side, then some of the solar wind applications even, beget, even begin to get more realizable because you can store energy with them. Same thing for nuclear, right? So nuclear has advanced a whole bunch. And in your lifetime, in my lifetime, Dan, Nuclear has gone from being, uh, you know, and the safety record is actually very good. Yeah, it's deceptive. People, it's, people it's, have this big emo- emotional deceptive. response to it because they think of the horrors of Chernobyl and, and right. Mile Island and the poss- right. Yeah, the possibilities of how bad it could be, and you know, Three Mile Island, in the United States, is the one that everybody remembers here, and, and Chernobyl over in this in Russia, Soviet Union, but. We've made a lot of advancements since then, and the next generation of, of nuclear is going to be safer, more efficient, and be able to do things we couldn't do 30, 40 years ago. That's the evolution of society. So we need to constantly be looking towards the future and seeing what we can do now that we couldn't do in the past and see if it, how that fits in with everything else we're doing. There's, a, there's room for nuclear. There will be. And I think you're going to see a lot of action, the, at least in the United States, and to, to 
try out some of these new systems. It's going to take, when you develop a nuclear facility, it's going to take, obviously there's a lot of regulations involved mm-hmm. there, and then just building the site. So you're talking about a five to 10 year process to get something sited. Yeah. It's a little bit different than a, than a wind turbine. Yeah, and that was his, his ranging there, point, was that nuclear needs to come back, and uh, it, that's our most sustainable option, yeah. and, and that solar and wind just really mm-hmm. aren't. But I also feel like he jumped to, he jumped to conclusions. Just I mean, just... Kind of making this quick yeah. leap from like, oh, oh we yeah. killed a lot of bats, therefore this isn't gonna, this is never gonna work, or we need more solar. No, like it takes so much land no. to get no. solar power, therefore this is never gonna work. Well, solar is gonna get more efficient too. Like you won't need the sure. same amount of space in ten years that you do today to get the same amount of electricity, obviously. But you know, that's, percentages that's right. will still maybe be a fraction of what they need to be to really be sustainable without, you know, harvesting so much of you know, the desert or whatever, because there's still a lot of, it's a busy ecosystem, even though it's maybe not as inhabitable as, you know, we humans would like. Right. I I think of it this way, having more uh, choices at the cafeteria of energy sources is better. So then we can make educated decisions for the places that we are at and having more, more ideas and more things thought through and more things tried is only be better for society long term. And we, can, and we can't eliminate them. We can't eliminate them haphazardly, which is what we've done a lot of times. Like, well, solar's off the table. No, it's not off the yeah. table. Come on, right? Uh, if there's anything we have learned, with, particularly with Elon Musk and and Tesla and all the things that are going on there, is things we thought were off the table are now back on the table in a huge way. That's why, because you know. Musk never took them off the table to begin with. He just said, we just need to make some improvements to them and see what we can do with it. Yeah. Everything's on the table. Yeah. It's got to be on the table. Yeah. And battery and battery technology seems like it's improving a lot. And I was reading and, and watching some videos about, uh, what is it called? It's uh, it's where you have your electrolyte in a, and it's just, it's a flow battery. And they're talking about flow mm-hmm. batteries being one of these yep. um, yep. up and coming you know, large scale storage uh, potentials for 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 yeah. energy. So there's a lot of people. Yeah, want and it. Uh, Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah there's there supposed to be. Uh, there's more. I think Musk tweeted something not long ago about some battery breakthrough that they're, he's talking about. Uh, it sounds like it's consortium with some companies over in China, but uh, all the details haven't been released. But the conjecture is is that the the cost of energy storage is going to go way down. And it made me reach that magic threshold where it's now worth it to invest in it. We'll see. But it's it's just like me. I'll, I'll give you a good example on my end. Uh, I've had a battery-powered lawnmower since 1995 or 6. Hmm. I haven't had a gas... I've never owned a gas mower. <laughs> okay? Weird. Why? Yeah. Well... Well, okay, so I'm, I've, I'm, a, I'm an electrical engineer, so I understand sort of the motor thing and how the batteries work and all that. But I never have to change oil in it. I never have to put gas in the thing. It always starts. I'm never changing spark plugs. I'm never worried about oil leaking in my garage. I never worry about it on a cold day not starting. I don't have to fix a carburetor and retune carburetors all the time. I have had put zero maintenance in a mower in 25, 25 years or so. Every time I got out there, it started. Now, that's an application for renewable energy. It's a battery-powered lawnmower. It's got a little charger on it. It is a, the most simple device. 
And when we learn from those simple devices, then we get to the next stage, like maybe a car, mm -hmm. right? So we go from lawnmowers to cars to, to airplanes, which is probably where we're going. But each of those steps has been an advancement. And I'm not sure society has always grabbed onto the fact that there's, an, there's a convenience to having a solar uh, wind farm, or there's a convenience to having a, a, a uh, a nuclear power plant and we need to kind of get a wrap our heads around that and start making decisions not necessarily based on emotion but based on what the reality of the situation is here what we would prefer and but what exists and then make that decision an educated decision on that i'm not sure we're always making it from an engineering standpoint we're sort of making emotional decisions about our energy sources not making the the mathematical how do we improve society the most and the way we improve society the most as we're finding out is when people become electrified and civilization become electrified a lot of health improvements food improvement the whole society starts to improve so there's a trade-off there's a trade-off i mean we've been making that trade-off for a hundred years and we're going to continue to make it yeah and that, that's an interesting point how how do you have a mower that's 25 years old like what kind of battery technology did they even have back then lead acid like a car battery. They actually were motor motorcycle batteries is what they were. They're motorcycle Have batteries. Have you like replaced yeah. it? Like how that seems shocking to me that something like that has lasted that long. Well, I actually replaced it recently in the last about three years ago. I replaced the, my original lead acid Ryobi battery powered lawnmower with a um, uh, basically the Home Depot brand of, of lawnmower electric a battery power lawnmower with has a lithium ion battery in it mm -hmm. so the, the it's a huge step up i know this sounds weird to talk about but my uh lead acid battery mower would go about 45 minutes which you can do a lot of mowing in 45 minutes with that lithium ion it'll and my lithium ion battery is now self-propelled first off my old my old one wasn't so it has more power capability and it runs longer so in that 25-year period, it went from lead-acid push to uh, self-propelled and running longer. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I just saw at, of all places, Home Depot, where they have a battery-powered uh, lawnmower, riding lawnmower. So we've gone from push mower to self-propelled to now battery-powered riding lawnmower, which is it's huge, yeah. right? Uh, because the one thing you want to get rid of is the like the little two cycle uh, blowers and all those things. Those things are burning oil all the time. It's good to get rid of those things and go to something that's a lot cleaner. Electricity is a lot cleaner, particularly if nuclear power is the energy source, or solar, or wind, or the are the power sources for recharging those batteries. Yeah, is yours like a is it like a plug in battery, like the little family of power tools, or is it built in? Yeah. So you, you can no, it's it's it's. Yeah, it comes out. So it, it's so you, a it's so about so you the size. Have a couple of others, a, and just if you run out, you just throw a new battery in and keep going. Which is what we do. Yeah. I have a couple. I have two batteries, but the that whole set. If you go to Home Depot, Home Depot out of yeah, sponsor not, this yeah. podcast. Today's episode sponsored by Home Depot, which is actually I think. Well, I think we talked about this, but Menards. If you're in the Midwest, Menards is just it's such a great home improvement store. Yeah, it's it so is. much. It's yeah, so much better than Lowe's, it. than Lowe's and Home Depot. Like, there's, I won't get into it, but yeah. Menards close, <laughs> close to my heart. Anyway, yes, no, it's totally true. My parents have a Menards back home, and they they rarely go to a Home Depot unless they're forced. Well, the to. difference is but when, home, like, when you're, you know, there's a there's a lot of times to buy the expensive tool, like the good tool that you're going to keep for a while, and then there's a lot of times yeah. when you, that's just not the case. Like, you just need a cheap 
quick tool and you don't you're not going to use it again or it doesn't matter if it doesn't last very long and you you don't yep. get good options like that at home depot like there's lots of times where you're like i just need these three little things and you're like and you leave and you spent $35 and you're like, this sucked. Like this shouldn't have cost this much. <laughs> like, and then you go to Menards, you can get those same things for like nine bucks total. And it, they have yeah. like a good generic section that's, and overall their prices seem to be a lot more reasonable. And they, I don't know, their their model just seems to be very different than than Home Depot. It's it, it's it's interesting. Oh, it, it, and a lot more helpful people too. Well, oh, at Menards, yeah. yeah. Well, on the East Coast, what I think is close to Menards is Tractor Supply. You have a Tractor Supply? Yeah, they're they're out there. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're this way way smaller right. though. But yeah, they tend to be way smaller. They didn't used to be way smaller. They used to be big in the Midwest, and now they have, have sort of smaller stores. I like Tractor Supply because they have all kinds of tools and hardware, and it's not super expensive. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody there who's actually used a tool in their life, uh, so they have somebody who can actually help you. Yeah find the find what you need that's a different place so yeah. all, i buy all my hardware from from tractor supply yeah engineering tip of the day mm-hmm. go to tractor supply yeah yeah and it does vary like i i think lowe's is is my my bottom it's a very it's a cleaner store than like home depot it's like more polished but you know and you find those old <laughs> jobbers who are are, are very hard. helpful at all of them but they're they seem to be more sparse in home depot and, and lowe's but anyway yeah. so okay so you've been i mean in our other in our other podcast struck like we're going to be talking about electric airplanes soon so this shouldn't be surprising that we can do a electric lawnmower <laughs> i mean you know we can't <laughs> we're going to put things up in the air with people in it then like yeah we should get lawnmower done first but lawnmower first and then right weed whacker lawnmower and then you know go-kart riding lawnmower and then tesla and then go from there well yeah yes. and that would be a boon for like the uh you know i mowed lawns for a little lawn care company my my godparents their son who's he's like he's like 10 years older than me but i worked for him for a summer in his little lawn care company and just thinking about at how many of his you know those professional mowers that are six seven eight thousand dollars that are really powerful you wonder if you can get to the point where we can again if like if we can do an aircraft you could do one of those lawn mowers but you know, you're talking about how much money and gas that would save him and oil and just maintenance and upkeep to your earlier point about not having yep. to change spark plugs. That would seem like a really yep. big deal for the lawn care industry, not to mention how much grass we're cutting in America. Like if all of our lawnmowers became electric, that would probably be a really big deal for the the planet. I, th- I In the United States, it would it would be a big deal uh, just because, you know, uh, the, even the, the, the blowers... The guys you see blowing mm-hmm. the leaves and blowing the grass after they cut the grass, although the little two-cycle mm-hmm. uh, powered blowers, it's a huge deal. I mean, if we're always if we're talking about trying to be greener, then great. You know, it doesn't have to always be the biggest thing you yeah. see. Getting getting society to change their opinions about electric things starts at the consumer level, yeah. and then it works and it works from there, right? If you if if a kid growing up today only knows a battery powered mower. Then when they get to a battery powered car, the, it's it's a lot more. They're familiar with it, right? Yeah. It took us a long time to get to a gas powered car and to figure out how to make those things work. And then the transition over is just as tough, right? So it starts as a generational thing. Yeah, it really is. Got to think of it. Of course, it like you know, it takes the least amount of energy is horses. So if we just go back. We just get back on horses again, <laughs> then we'll be in good shape. I mean, Goats. we've we just overthought this whole thing. Let's just go back to horses and oxen. 
and then we'll be we'll be all set um yeah <laughs> yeah so so wood wind turbines uh i'm looking at this tower here so it says standing nearly 100 feet tall and this is an article on bloomberg that we'll, we'll link in the show notes but 100 feet tall yep. on the rocky shore of the island bjorko in southwest sweden um so mm. it looks like a normal wind turbine outside obviously it's painted and everything but inside it's mm. uh, a composite wood made of three to four millimeter thick layers of nordic grown spruce uh covered in a waterproof coating and they say it's as sturdy as steel posts. So, Alan, what do you think about this? So this is an interesting idea because we talked about in a previous episode that there's just a graveyard of huge fiberglass wind turbine blades. And this is talking about the the tower, not the not the blades, right. but there's a, there's not a the lot blade. of there's a lot of waste. So how do you do? You, there, what do you, what do you got on this? Yeah. Okay. Let's just back up a minute. So one of the most recyclable materials on the planet is steel uh just because you can cut it and reform mm-hmm. it into something else and remelt it again uh so wind turbine towers are made out of steel typically i'm not sure what the benefit of this is besides obviously the energy it takes to heat the steel up and to process the steel it's typically a coal power yeah. thing uh to recycle it uh but you have a similar situation with wood. Someone's got to go out and cut this tree down. It's got to haul it to the lumber mill. It's got to be processed by the lumber mill. It's got to be made into some sort of shape. And then it's got to get hauled to the site. And it's going to get screwed on, nailed on, whatever they're doing yeah. to make this tower. So I'm, I I understand using the renewable resource thing. That all makes sense to me. I'm not sure if wood is the right answer. And for So that that's just the recycling part yeah. of that picture and the energy usage. But the other half of this is on the electrical side, the, the in, electrical engineer in me says, uh-oh, I don't have any shielding on my power wires and my control wires that are running up and down this tower because wood provides zero shielding from uh, noise from lightning effects or anything else for that matter. So how are lightning currents getting from the blade all the way down to the earth? And am I coupling a lot more energy into the wirings the wiring system have to be cupping more energy into the wiring system. So am I actually having to put more work into this thing because the tower is now made out of something that's non-conductive? Hmm. That's that's my first worry. It's like, man, I don't know. I mean, the early wind turbines uh, were, if you think of the nacelles, the little covers that go over the generators, those are just made. Those are were made out of just fiberglasses. So electrically they were transparent so any sort of electrical noise from the outside world just passes right through that gets into our our electronics and our wiring and our systems and testing we used to do years ago on wind turbines found that like those fiberglass shells are just really bad at at protecting electronics yeah. right there's, there's not providing any shielding so we, we see measure these huge voltages and currents on on wiring inside the nacelle during simulated lightning strikes to the point where equipment was dying all the time because of it and to take shielding away just adds additional work you got to put the you got to put shielding back in and the tower was like an easy shield so what are we shielding from Uh, so you mentioned noise um what back up explain this to me as if i'm 12 what what are we shielding from Mm. what does this mean what is the noise like how is that going to affect the systems all right, let's just let's take a simplistic lightning case. A lightning strikes a blade, and that current's going to run down the blade. It's going to run through the, the nacelle, mm-hmm. 
and then it's got to go run down through the tower to get to Earth. Well, if the tower itself is made out of something that's non-conductive, then you have to create a wire pass. So somewhere like they've got a wire connected. Yeah. Right, there's a down conductor in the tower. So that down conductor is carrying a lot of energy. All this lightning energy is going down this one wire. Well, all your power wire, all your phase wires that are uh, that are from the generator spinning and pushing power out to the outside mm-hmm. world, those wires are, coup- are getting the energy coupled from that grounding wire. So the down conductor is coupling energy on those other wires sitting right next to it, upsetting the generator system. So you, you've got this uh, bad coupling going on that, that hmm. the levels can get really, really high really quick. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So the other thing that is tossed around a little bit, but it doesn't seem like in any serious like commercial way, is uh, wood wind turbine blades. And mm. what do you feel like the engineering... I mean, does engineering of this work? I mean... Well, bla- blades have bla- even modern blades today have a lot of balsa wood inside of them. Instead, and on an aircraft part, we would use honeycomb core, uh, which is a paper product that uh, provides stiffness to a composite piece of com- composite structure. And on wind turbine blades, we use balsa as that core. So there is wood inside of those most of the blades today. Uh, that's normal. And on smaller wind turbines, like the homebrew wind turbines, they have, they've been made out of wood for a long time. It wasn't until recently you start making out of fiberglass and carbon fiber. So there were a lot of wind turbine blades in around homes, particularly around the Midwest, that were made out of wood. Obviously, they have not much or zero lightning protection on them. So when they did get hit, they just exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So wood, wood, wood is not a great conductor. It's like uh, lightning hitting a tree. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much a bomb. And you got shrapnel all over the place. So does that seem like it's easier to repair or more difficult to repair if it takes a, a lightning strike and has some damage compared to a fiberglass blade? Uh, but, well, you know, a wood blade's going to have a lot more collateral damage. Uh, if it, it depends on where the lightning goes. If it goes inside, wood is just going to explode like a tree. Uh, fiberglass has some design strength to it. It tends to crack. Both are bad. Yeah. Both are bad. Gotcha. No, nothing here is easy, right? Welcome, welcome to engineering. <laughs> nothing is easy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, you know, and to to put the wood thing to bed, it says the main, like you said, recyclability. I think you're spot on with the recyclability. Like steel is always like, okay, this thing's done. All right, let's melt that tower down and make it into something else. Like, yeah, steel's always. It's never really going away, which is kind of why I remember as a kid, my mom was like, "Hey, turn that off. You're wasting water." I'm like. This water's not going anywhere. It's not going down the drain and then, like, leaving the planet. Like, this water's going to the, like, this whole idea of waste. It's going to rain. Yeah, this whole idea of wasting water. Like, water never leaves. It's 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 funny. Well, It's wasting money. That, it's wasting money, but. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wasting money. In Maryland, though, in Maryland, you're right next to the ocean, and it's always raining there, and there's always a plethora of lakes of fresh uh, mm-hmm. bodies of water there. But in Arizona... In California, it kind of matters, right? Because it doesn't rain as much. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so I got I got the same thing in Nebraska, but it's always it's they have underground aquifers in Nebraska that are sizes of states, uh, so they're not going to run out of water anytime soon there. But I get the same lecture. Yeah, for sure. Of course. But anyway, so I, yeah, I, dig- I digress. But but yeah, so it seems like it's not the recyclability thing that they're pushing. It's really the uh, it says that it 
a, a single full-size wooden turbine would avoid the 2,000 tons of carbon emissions produced by making a steel analog. So that seems to be the appeal, I guess, as Siemens Gamisa's pledged to be uh, zero net emissions in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So they just don't want the, the processing damage to the environment, just putting out all that carbon, that CO2. So yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't. I don't know you, that much about that that side of things. I hear all this like carbon neutral stuff, and um, I don't. I haven't delved into the research about it, so I'm not really sure where I fall on that. Like you said, if that's a well, I th- yeah. And Dan, you got to get away both sides of the equation. It isn't like the wood side has zero net effect. True. There's a net effect on that side too, and. Don't let the the marketing people sway you over just because it's made out of trees and therefore it's better. There's still a lot truck of it over energy here too. being used. Yeah, they got to cut it down. They right. got these chainsaws with yep. gas in them, and it was the same thing about right. like the ethanol, like the E85. They talked about that for yeah. so long. Like, oh, this is our solution to mm-hmm. gas, but it's like, well, you have to process all this corn. Like these combines are like, there's so much processing where, and I, again, I don't know the numbers here either, but. People are like, eh, after subsidies and all this other stuff, like E85 is not really that great or ethanol is not really that great compared to mm-hmm. gas because it's supposed to be trucked around and all this other stuff. It's, it's interesting debate hearing yeah. both sides of it, yeah. Well, it, hey, I'll, I will tell you, there's, uh, in my mind, there are two competing technologies that are the realistic way forward. One is maybe we get to some sort of battery power thing that makes sense and we can actually store some energy in it. And okay, and we get to some sort of nuclear thing. The other part is hydrogen. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why we don't have hydrogen-powered cars because those cars were developed probably, uh, that was 2001-ish, 2002-ish. Honda had a hydrogen-powered car. I think you can actually still get hydrogen-powered cars from Honda and maybe even General Motors. It just burns, it makes, it makes they water. They emit water, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. They emit water, right? And it uses roughly the same infrastructure we have today. That you go to a refueling station, you plug your nozzle into the car, it would take two minutes, five minutes to, to, to fill your tank up, and away you go for another 300, 400 miles on a tank of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Why, haven't, why haven't we done that? I do not know, because it isn't like battery-powered cars are the safest thing in the world either. Think about it. One of the first things they had to do when the battery-powered cars started coming around again uh, and this is probably the third or fourth time in my lifetime that we've had battery powered cars. Is you got to train all the fire stations and all the the EMS people how to deal with a battery powered car, because it's 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 full of energy, right? And the first thing that you, you know you worry about is that that thing's going to have some sort of electrical short and catch on fire, which they do, right? So there's a lot of infrastructure things with battery cars that you have to straighten out just with any sort of change in technology. Why didn't we do hydrogen? I do not know. Yeah, that's a good know. question, and it's also like I was big into the uh, the aftermarket Jeep world when I was in high school and early into college, and yep. I, I worked on old cars, old cars with my brother. And there's this one thing that a lot of um, for some reason it's big in like the off roading world where you know you have like a rock crawler or something like that you're going to be off the grid for a while. Yeah, people will convert them into yep. propane. I know they have propane. They yes. have propane um, running uh, buses in, in a lot of cities. And it's and true. it's it's interesting because it's usually cheaper. At least it was back. I'm not sure if it's still cheaper for the the equivalent amount of propane. But your oil just like stays golden apparently forever because of how clean the propane burns, which is really fascinating. It could be. Yeah. Um, mm. But 
but yeah, just uh, and that's not really a, a very difficult switch over. And I think it was more efficient, but I really I can't remember. That was probably ten years ago when I was thinking about all that. It's like oh, I'll put a propane mm. tank in my Jeep. It's like, meh. But yeah, it's still it's still out there. That's probably not a re- reasonable solution because yeah. it's still a fossil fuel. But although maybe uh, not a f- right. But again, we're talking about transitions, mm-hmm. right? You need to get from. Uh, a two-cycle engine to a four-cycle engine, from a four-cycle engine to some sort of battery power thing or, or something that has less emissions, mm-hmm. and you're going to transition to where you want to get to. It just yeah. doesn't happen immediately. Yeah. <sighs> and so going back to, to, to battery, in this article here, it says Tesla's preparing this media day to kind of announce that it sounds like the battery's going to ex- uh, lower the expected cost per kilowatt hour to under $100, which they say is like a, mm-hmm. a big milestone where that's going to make electric cars a lot more affordable. So mm-hmm. uh, that was supposed to happen on in, or I guess it's coming up soon, but no firm date set. So pretty interesting. I was listening to his podcast and he mentioned just some of their speed advancements, like their car. I, we we talked about this going zero to sixty mm-hmm. and one point nine, and 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 then this new battery technology. So it does sound like they're doing a lot of interesting things, and they're trying to eliminate cobalt from these uh, yeah. these batteries because that's like kind of like a like a blood diamond kind of situation over there. Just brutal conditions for workers right. and. Um, conflict mineral. It's a conflict yeah. mineral. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, last thing on the, the 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 docket today, I want to talk a little bit about leading edge erosion. We'll talk more about this in in coming episodes, but um, that's one of the main issues with with maintenance for these wind turbine blades. Um, tell me a little bit about leading edge erosion and protection for these leading edges, because obviously they're these blades are moving so fast, and especially in you know rain, snow, sleet. Um, especially, well, well, we'll leave it there. What do you got on uh, on leading edge erosion? Leading edge erosion is the effect where water particles or ice particles are actually hitting the the, the, the plastic edges of wind turbine blades and creating this pitting damage. You see the same thing on aircraft, helicopter blades, same thing. But in, in the wind turbine case, it tends to be mostly rain, sometimes snow, sometimes ice. And as those little tiny particles uh, hit the hit the blade surface, there's like a shock wave. Uh, if you think about, you know, it's hard to conceive a little droplet of water doing any real damage, but you hit it hard enough and at enough speed, it creates a shock wave in the blade itself, especially on the surfaces where these coatings are. And it, it wants to try to rip the coating off or to shear the coating off and one water droplet won't do it. It's going to take millions and millions of water droplets. Well, if you're out in the ocean, you're in some place that rains a lot, it doesn't take long for that blade to impact millions of water droplets. And so the accumulation over time starts to happen. You get this uh, very odd shape pitting happening onto the blade. Now, it's just like uh, having a wound on your skin. You know, once you get past the outer skin layer, you're down into things that matter. Mm-hmm. You're getting into the, the structure of a wind turbine blade, and you're shoving water inside of it, and that does even more damage once the water gets inside in the freeze and thaw that can occur on a lot of places on the planet where it's cold. In the wintertime, you get water inside of a structure, and you let it freeze, and it expands. It tends to rip apart everything it gets into. So leading edge erosion, rain erosion, one, obviously impacts the aerodynamics. It makes it less efficient for that blade to spin. But the subsequent is it starts to affect the structure, and if you get water 
into the structure and the freeze thaw of that, now you can really be destroying a wind turbine blade and it's almost invisible in a sense because the, from the outside on the blade, it doesn't look like that much has happened on the outside, but on the inside, if it's full of water, now you have a really yeah. big problem you gotta go solve. So what's the typical time where you start to see problems? Obviously it varies a lot depending on the climate and all that stuff, but. Climate, yeah, it's it's related to climate, uh, related to the, the speed of the turbine blade. It's related to the coatings that they put on the turbine blade, whether they've actually done any testing or not. Like LM Glass Fiber, and now GE, uh, built a rain erosion test facility over in Denmark to, to check that out. And so they're, they're looking at it closely. There are a number of, of rain erosion test facilities in the world. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, there's one. Uh, over in Ireland and Limerick, Ireland, there's a smaller setup. So there's a couple of setups around the world that people go to. But... If they haven't done any testing, then it's just really uh, you're guessing at it, and it, it's like the worst possible way to do anything engineering-wise, particularly for something that's going to be out in the atmosphere for 20-plus yeah. years. And what do these test facilities look like? I assume they're not just creating rain and swinging things through it. I'm sure they're just blasting water, like using a high-pressure nozzle and just blasting nope. stuff, or how does it work? No, it, it was your first. Really? Guess, that seems like a that seems like a huge pain. <laughs> I mean, that seems like the most accurate, but it oh, seems yeah. like a huge pain. Yeah, they, they think of it like a grain silo. If you're, <laughs> I'm sorry, from the Midwest, mm -hmm. but if you ever seen a grain silo, it's just round, mm -hmm. round, cylindrical building, right? What you do is you uh, uh, take you make a round cylindrical building, and then you make these rings of uh, syringes, and you hook those up to to water so it, you got these uh, a couple hundred syringes hanging from the ceiling essentially it sounds like a horror movie you but can, go on yeah yeah it's a little scary to walk into quite honestly uh, i don't like be around needles and that's a place there's a lot of needles so and then they take an electric motor on the floor with a with a uh, looks like a helicopter blade on it something similar to that and it's a whirling we call a whirling arm and then you put your samples on the on this whirling arm and you spin it so it's spinning horizontally and then you turn on the water and the water droplets fall and the water droplets have to be a certain size and it's all at a certain rate mm. usually it's an inch per hour or two inches per hour or something like that and they just impact it like it would be uh supposedly like it's supposed to be in the natural environment but the the kicker to that system is when you start spinning something in a cylindrical tower it creates its own aerodynamics and so the water droplets always don't fall as perfectly as maybe they should. And, it does, and so every setup of I've been to or seen has its own particular characteristics. No two facilities are the same and no two facilities will give you the same result. Mm -hmm. It's really an apples to, you have to run one sample then run it against another sample and see what the differences are. There is no absolute and there is no known, I, 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 the engineering world will tell you there's a known standard for that. I say that is not true. Based on everything I've seen, there is no known standard for rain erosion. Every part of the world has their own unique characteristic. You're just going to have to go test it. Hmm. Uh, yeah. The only ones that I've, I think have done a, a, a very interesting or unique setup is over in, in Limerick, um, Ireland, the University of Limerick, where they, they have a smaller cylinder. It has a rotating arm on it. And it's, it's, it's needles, but there's a, a circle of needles, not a, not a plethora of needles. This is like a circle of needles. And they time the water. They have each of those needles 
on a little uh, uh, water valve that's timed so that the water droplet that comes out the needle impacts the sample every time. So they time it so the water droplet hits the sample. It's not random. Mm. So they actually spin this thing and they time these water droplets. That, that, I think that provides a lot more consistency to the result. That hasn't been implemented everywhere. I've only seen that set up over in, over in Ireland. But I, I like that setup, one, because it's compact. I didn't have to build the whole building. And two, it's, it's going to give you very consistent results. So it's spinning like a, you said, like a helicopter blade. So horizontally? Yep. I mean, isn't that going to pu- like yep. sort of push air up towards the falling rain and like give a buffer, like kind of like soften its blow to it? I feel like, and of course, with a wind turbine, that's the, you know, it's perpendicular to the axis it'd be spinning in real life. Is that problematic or, right. or no? Uh that's a great question. I don't know if there's any good answer to that. Uh, the aerodynamics, and I've never seen anybody do modeling of the aerodynamics of a rain erosion facility to see what actually is going on. People got other stuff to do. They're busy. Yeah, they're out riding their riding well, their horses and their electric lawnmowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they may they may be doing mm-hmm. that, but uh, the way it's uh, let's just let's just talk. Is basic engineering right now. If you can't, if you don't know what's going on in the real world, you try to simulate the best you can. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Well, you got to limit a pot of money, and with that pot of money, what can you do with that pot of money? That's what happened. And and Dayton, Ohio, is where the Air Force Research Lab always was. Uh, I think they they transferred the ownership of that rain erosion facility to the University of Dayton. I think. I, I think BF Goodrich also has one out there similarly, but. Uh, it's sort of a brute force. Whatever, whatever we can mock up in the lab, we can then build a structure and just test it. And then we're, we, it, there's no absolutes here. It's definitely A to B to C mm-hmm. testing, and that's what you go with. Gotcha. That, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, and that makes sense because, like you said, A, we need facilities, and B, they're never going to be exactly the same. They're going to be like a s- snowflake, nope. and C, it's not going to perfectly yep. replicate the environment. That, that is nope. that's a, it's a really interesting thing because we think of all these you know you see like these tests of consumer products where they have like this mechanical system it's like punching the car seat you know fifty thousand times to like see how well the, the the car seat wears and you're like okay that's really interesting but none of these are ever going to completely replicate the actual environment of a yeah. human putting their fat butt down the car seat thirty thousand times nope. between yeah in ten years nope. so that's interesting that nope. you know you couldn't just necessarily compare it from one facility to the next. And expect you just have to go. All right, let's get all samples to this one facility, and all you know, go to some other facility. But yeah, yeah, and they've they've done some what they call round robin testing. So you 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 take the same samples, you run it to different facilities. They do the same thing in the lightning world mm-hmm. too. Same same thing. And I will tell you, having to been to a lot of lightning facilities, you're not getting the same result. If you're not getting the same result, e- even though you think you have lock this thing in and you have specifications especially on the aerospace side you got specifications that say they should get similar results nope nope you're going to get you they're not going to be identical yeah. i mean they're going to be in general generally the mm-hmm. same but that's as, that's as most you can hope well, for. well american lightning doesn't exercise yeah. as much they eat a lot more fatty foods so those lightning bolts are way <laughs> way different you get a japanese lightning bolt they have a lot more greens in their diet a lot healthier you yeah. know way yeah. out there mediterranean yeah. light bolts yeah. i mean great great uh life expectancy <laughs> yeah it's, it's important stuff but yeah well uh i think that uh, you know obviously having grown up in the united states particularly the, the era that we grew up in a lot of things are sort of americanized standard because you don't have to go outside of america to get pretty much anything you want yeah. right 
Um, and so you sort of things kind of get homegrown and you assume everything in the world is just like that. That is the furthest thing from the case. America is, uh, the environment in America is way different than the environment in Europe in a lot of cases. It's totally different than the environment in South America. Mm-hmm. You can't, you just can't assume one size fits yeah. all. That's, that's a classic engineering mistake. It's just like if you bought a car, Dan, I mean, would you buy, would you buy a Japanese car like that? In a sense, like the Japanese car is going to be different than an American car. It's going to have different performance because, and I'll give you a good example. When I used to buy uh, Hondas early on, I didn't think they performed very well in really cold weather. Hmm. Now that's changed. That's changed a lot. Uh, that, and, and I'll give you even a better example. So, car Honda cars in Canada came with extra features because it's so dang cold up there. Yeah. That I could I couldn't buy. I we're probably maybe two and a half hours from the border of Canada, so it's cold here. Yeah. We couldn't buy those same things, right? So mm. every 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 different part of the world is a different environment. I mean, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, just like the formulation of Coca-Cola is different all over. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. People's taste is. change, like, but, but... And it's your point, it's more like the testing. Yeah. Like maybe if a, a car yeah. company was born in South America... Where they just don't have cold weather days to really test like what it's like driving a car in Winnipeg, then maybe it's just, yeah. just fundamentally different. Like they're not as good at making a cold weather car there. Seems reason seems reasonable, right. but right, right. So we, we're doing the same thing in wind turbines, right? We're we're figuring out there's different climates and there's different light, in particular the lightning side. There's different levels of lightning. The lightning responds differently in different parts of the world. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We are all the time surprised by it but we shouldn't be surprised by it because we should have known that from other things we've already done yeah gotcha gotcha all right well we're going to wrap up today's episode of uptime if you're new to the show welcome if you're a regular here thank you for your continued support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard lightning tech youtube channel for video episodes full interviews and short clips from each show For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.